I had my chance in F1. I think I probably should have done things a little bit differently if I wanted to have a, a better chance in, in, in F1, you know. I'm not happy with eight. I want to fight for podiums. And, and I think I had the complete wrong mentality back then. Welcome everyone to Beyond the Grid with me, Tom Clarkson. This week, we have a story of what might have been, because my guest is a driver who had the talent and speed to succeed in Formula One, but it didn't quite happen for him. He scored multiple points finishes for Toro Rosso and ran his teammate Daniel Ricciardo close for two years, but he was still spat out of the Red Bull programme. The man I'm talking about is, of course, Jean-Éric Verne. Jeff is a driver I've kept a close eye on ever since he won the British Formula 3 Championship in 2010. He obliterated the opposition that year, winning 12 out of 24 races. And when he did something similar at Formula 1's Young Driver Test in Abu Dhabi 2011, when he was fastest on all three days in Red Bull's glorious RB7, I wasn't alone in thinking that we had a future Formula 1 race winner on our hands. But his time in Formula 1 came to an abrupt end with just 51 points on the board. In many ways, it was a travesty, and we discuss the whys and wherefores over the next hour in what is a very candid and enlightening conversation. For Jeff's many fans out there, some of it will be quite a hard listen. Jeff, it's great to see you, albeit virtually. And you're looking a bit different to the last time I saw you, which was at the Goodwood Revival. You were looking very dapper. You were in a three-piece suit and you're now in a T-shirt. What's going on? Ah, yeah, the Peaky Blinders style. I, I could not keep it, uh, you know, too long. But uh, it, it was amazing, you know, to to be dressed up for the occasion at, at the Goodwood Revival. And uh, no, I'm just having a little jumper because it's cold, you know, being in London, I'm... Uh, it's not that it's not that warm anymore. Summer is, is definitely gone. So <laughs> that's something I didn't know that you're now living in London. Um, how long have you been there? Uh, I've been living in London for the last four years. Now, what attracted you to our beautiful capital city? Well, I always kind of lived in the, in the UK. So when I was eighteen years old, uh, that I was racing in in British Formula Three, I came to live in the UK um, in beautiful Milton Keynes. Uh, <laughs> Spending a lot of time in, in the simulator for Red Bull Racing. And then when I was, um, when I arrived in, in Formula One 21, in, when I was 21, I left the UK to go to Switzerland. And then when um, I left Formula One, Switzerland was not something funny anymore. So yeah, I decided to go back to London, uh, a city that I always wanted to live in. Uh, a lot of friends living in London, you know, very nice city. And I think it's the best city in Europe for, for me to live in. Well, it is fantastic. I can't deny that. Now, you touched on your Formula One career then. So let's get cracking with that. When I think of you, Jev, as a Formula One driver, I think of a super quick talent who didn't get a fair crack of the whip. Is that a fair assessment? I mean, that that's that's nice of you to say, uh, super talented. <laughs> Um, I think, you know, all of us, uh, Formula One drivers uh, or ex-Formula One drivers, we all have this more or less the same talent. Um, we would not have 
come all the way to Formula One with without uh, without the talent. Even for the drivers that are paying, you know, we all have some kind of talent. Uh, it's it's all the work, you know, that makes the difference. And um, I think um, I had my chance in F1. Uh, you know, without the help of Red Bull, I would not have gone to 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 tour also onto Formula One. I think I probably should have done things a little bit differently if I wanted to have a, a better chance in 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 F1. You know. Uh, but that's the way it is. I learned from uh, the the good things that I've done, the bad things that I've done. You know, I'm, I think I'm a better person, a better driver. Uh, and for sure, if I would uh, get back in in Formula One, there are a lot of things that would that I would do differently. So, of your three years, for people listening who can't remember the details, it was seventeenth in year one, fifteenth in year two, and thirteenth in the drivers' championship in year three. So it was all heading in the right direction. You say you'd have done things differently. What do you mean by that? What might you have done differently? I, I think my my biggest problem is coming from the junior categories. I've, I was used to, you know, win not not win every weekends, but win all the championship that I that I will do, or always fight for wins in in all the races in either Formula Three or Formula Renault Three Point Five. Uh, always there, you know. And when I came in F one, I. You know, when I be before when I would finish second, I would be you know very pissed off. Yeah, so I had this this winning mentality, and when I came in F one, I I remember the first race I was in the points, and uh, I lost the points in the last lap, but stupid rookie mistake. Uh, the team was not really angry at myself, even me. I was like, okay, I tried, it didn't work. It, it was kind of fun. Second race in in uh, in uh, Malaysia, I finished in the point, finished eighth, and I crossed the line, and I was. I wouldn't say I was happy. Uh, I was like, okay, it's eight. Uh, it's not bad. And when I came in in the garage, everybody was kind of celebrating like if I would have won a, a race and uh, congratulating me. And uh, I was like, okay, that's nice, but I, it put me kind of off. You know, I was like, why is this team celebrating for an eighth position? And I'm not happy with eights. I'm not here to finish eight. I want to to fight for podiums. And and I think I had the complete wrong mentality uh, back then. I should have enjoyed more uh, eighth position, a ninth position, and I should have understand better. I should have known better than, you know, knowing that it would have been a, a good result for a team like uh, like Toro Rosso. And uh, so I had this image within Red Bull of of this you know French Moody um, driver, and I suffer from the comparison of of Ricardo. That uh, regardless if he was behind me or in front of me or last or tenth or sixth. He always had the same smile, you know, and people like that about him. And uh, and I was uh, a little bit the, the the opposite. So you know, if I would to come back, I would enjoy a lot more. I would enjoy uh, a lot more uh, eight or six position, and uh, I think I would be also a little bit stronger politically speaking within the the Red Bull family. I think I was a bit too, I was a bit too nice. Um, and uh, but you know that comes with experience. That's the way it was. Um, I had very good results in F1. I, I scored more points than than uh, than Daniel. One of the two seasons that we were teammates, uh, and the last year I think was was a lot better. And uh, the last year, um, it, I think it was a little bit of of bad luck of how things happened. I remember in the summer, so I had more points than than Kvyat. The first half of the season was was pretty good. I remember in in Budapest before the summer break, I. I was second for for more than half the race when it was uh, wet with Nico Rosberg behind me, and and then obviously it, it dried up in the end. Unlucky, but uh, still finished in the points, and you know was was a strong race for us. 
And um, I got this call in, in the summer saying that I would be replaced by a young, younger driver. I knew he was, he was Max Verstappen. And I was like, kind of, uh, you know, that's, that's the game. There is no place in Red Bull. I had never talked to any other Formula One teams before because I was within the Red Bull family and maybe that's also a mistake I've done. And, um, yeah, it was like, you know, you and also, uh, to go, uh, one day to Red Bull Racing. Um, after three years, there was no space available. And, and, uh, and with Marco told me, yeah, you know, it's, it's over at the end of the year. And, and I thought it was nice actually for him to tell me so early in the season. But in the same time, that was probably my biggest problem that he had told me, uh, so early in the season because, uh, since it was announced in the media that I would be out of tour also, it would have looked very bad if when Vettel decided to leave for Ferrari during the Japanese Grand Prix, that he would have called me back to go into uh, Red Bull. Because during this phone conversation with, with Helmut, I told him, what if Vettel leaves? He told me Vettel is not going to leave. I said, yeah, but what if Vettel leaves? He said, well, then you'll go. You'll be the, the next one to go to Red Bull. But uh, so, yeah, I think I found out, we found out on, on, the, on the Saturday or the Friday that Vettel was going to Ferrari and, and Red Bull wanted to respond uh, straight away. And, and uh, they announced Kvyat in the morning without talking to anyone. And I was kind of, uh, okay, that's, you know, the, what happened during this, this Grand Prix with, with Jules. So it was uh, quite a tough moment. And then, of course, Franz Tost uh, really wanted to, to keep me uh, because... Uh, he wanted to have an experienced driver uh, together with with Max, but then you know once again Red Bull couldn't say okay we're gonna keep Van uh, in tour also. So and there was another you know very young promising driver coming with with Carlos Sainz. So they they put him uh, instead of uh, I mean replacing Kvyat that that went to Red Bull Racing. But that that year was quite complicated. I wish Helmut would have done it the uh, the same way he did to to many drivers to wait until the last race of the season to tell them it's off because if he would have waited. With the Grand Prix that I've done before Japan, I was in a much stronger situation than Kivya to go to, to Red Bull Racing. Crikey, there are so many questions that have come up uh, about everything you've just said. Can I take you back to, to the mentality thing in that you arrived in 2012 wanting to, to, to win races and, and, and finish on the podium? I would have thought that mentality would have struck a chord with Helmut Marco. I would have thought he would have relished your dissatisfaction with eighth and the fact that you want more the whole time that is exactly how helmet is wired isn't it i don't know i was not in the right place uh, at the right time uh, in you know in, in my mentality in my way of thinking in my way of, of walking i mean i i can see you know only two years later when i won in formula e, I, I realized that i was harding a lot a lot more than than what i used to in in f1 and um I take the blame. I, I take the, the 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 negative comments that that has been made to me. Uh, the way I, you know, I keep also the the positive. But um, that's the way it was. Jeff, what was Helmet like to deal with on a human level? Uh, pretty non-existent. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> the rumors are true. <laughs> yeah, rumors are true. But I have to say something. So, you, I mean, you like Helmut. You don't like Helmut. I'm not here to be friends with him. It's not like I'm going to go on holiday with him, but um, I liked him as a boss uh, because he always gave the driver a fair chance uh, to succeed. Uh, yeah, he's tough. Yeah, that's but that's fine, you know. I mean, the the world we live in, the world 
the drivers in Formula One are, it's a, it's a tough world. You know, you're, you're only as good as your last race. And, and this, you know, everybody knows. And, um, you know, if you do a good job, if you win championships before Formula One, he, he was fair and he brought me to Formula One. And, uh, you know, I, I can only thank him and, and uh, for, for what he's done for me. I wish he would have done different things um, in, you know, especially the, the third year I had with, with Toro Rosso. Uh, but that's, you know, that's the way it is. And um, I'm, I'm happy that I, you know, get to work with him and that he, he gave me the chances that he gave me. He was very target driven or he is very target driven. But having been a racing driver himself, did he try and help you in terms of how to drive the car, how to set up the car? Did he give you any advice about that? No, he never gave any advice about that. He, he always liked to know what happened on the car, what happened with the the updates that we were having with Toro. So he's quite looking into the details, you know. He's there on the races. Believe me, he knows everything about the car. He knows everything about what's happening in the team and everything about the drivers, um, also in the junior team. He's, he's quite aware of, uh, of everything. And is it true that he'd ring you for a debrief at 7 a.m.? What, the morning after the race, maybe two mornings later? Oh, yeah, yeah. He usually called in the most unusual time. And I think he liked to be rough uh, with uh, with the drivers, you know. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure he likes it. I remember once in, in Manicor, I was the fastest, but I, I stole at the at the start. I stole twice in the weekend and I didn't win a race. Uh, and he was pretty pissed off with me. And I can understand and the race after I said, you better win. I won the, 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 the race after that was in Germany. Uh, and he called me and he told me, he only told me off because I didn't do first lap. I had, I had won the two races, <laughs> do the two pole position, but I didn't have fast lap because a guy that crashed in the first, in, in, in the, in the middle of the race stopped to put the new tires and to get fast lap. But I didn't have time to tell him that, that he already hung up. <laughs> but, but that's Helmut's sense of humor, right? Yeah, yeah. But when you're young, believe me, your life is on the line. Like, like you, you don't, I mean, now I can see the humor, but uh, when you're young, that's, you know that the, the next race is, is always your most important race and that you have uh, somebody in front of you that is like this. It's quite tough when you're young, you know, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not easy, but uh, I guess he... <laughs> The way it is, he's trying to get us ready for, for what's coming in the future, which is, of course, a lot tougher when you arrive in, uh, in F1. Now, who pulls the strings at Toro Rosso? What was Toro Rosso now, Alpha Tauri? Is it Helmut Marco? Is he running the show there? Or is it Franz Tost? I mean, the team principal is, is Franz Tost um, and uh, he's the one managing the, the team. Then in terms of funding, I don't know how they work anymore. And, you know, I've, it's not up to me to... To, to, to say or to even know. Uh, then, uh, of course, Red Bull has uh, big importance in, in, in Toro Rosso. Also, you know, the Toro Rosso driver and Alfa Tori are Red Bull drivers. Uh, so the link is very strong between those two teams. And did you make much of an effort to ingratiate yourself to, to Christian Horner in the big team? Let me answer the question differently. Let's say that I left... Too, too many blanks and I left too many things up to luck and not up to me. Uh, so, yeah, I should have taken things a little bit more in my hands. So, I mean, the answer is no. Otherwise, I would probably be in, in, in a different uh, situation today and I would probably have had a chance to in Red Bull Racing. You didn't have a manager back then, did you? No, I didn't have. Maybe I should have had. Red Bull were not very keen in, in us having a manager. 
I, I wish I had a manager, not for the amount that Red Bull were paying us, because that's when you're a young driver, that's really not what matters. But really from the mentality the, the, and, and the, the, the mental health that I now have, but I didn't have back in F1. I think that would have played a, a massive, a massive role. I mean, someone like Julian Jacobi, would he have been a, a, a great mentor in a way for you? Um, I, I don't know. It's it's hard to say. I know that, uh, you know, the time that I met Julian, it, it helped me massively. And uh, he was a very good uh, uh, person that I met uh, in, in an important turning point in, in my career. And uh, definitely the, the success I have in Formula E is, uh, is also thanks to the work that we've done together to create the luck that I didn't have in Formula One. I realized that, you know, you, you cannot wait for luck to come to you. You need to create your luck and uh, you need to create your own environment. And that's what I've done with Tichita, and that's what we were able to to succeed. I mean, to to achieve with uh, with Julian, you know, to put the team around us and to to bring DS into the into Tichita as well. Uh, that that was an important work that we've done on the side of the track that I obviously didn't know in 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 F1. So maybe if I would have met him a lot younger, yeah, it would have been better probably. Let's talk about some of your races now, Jev. You touched on Malaysia 2012 earlier. That was your second Grand Prix. You finish in the points and it was this sort of wet, dry, strategic race. A fantastic one by you. Just give us your memories of that one. It started raining and uh, everybody stopped for, for full wet. But uh, from my understanding of of how the FIA were working, uh, you know, looking at all the other races in of the past, to me... When you put extreme wet tires, it means that you're going to have a safety car or a red flag situation. And that is what happened. Uh, I started very far away. I don't think I did qualifying or we had a very bad qualifying. And I came to, I came back to six thanks to, to me not stopping and staying on the, on the inters where it was huge, huge rain. And then I had a safety car for a few laps. And with the safety car, I had Vettel in front of me. And in the straight line, I could not see anything. And I remember I did a 360. And I stopped right next to his rear wing, and I was like, "Okay, that that would have been the end of me if I would have crashed into Seb." <laughs> race two, <laughs> race two, yes, that would have been really bad. And then, luckily, they put the red flag, and then I went from six to eight. Yes. And what about the rain as well, Jeff? I always thought you were a bit of a master in the rain. Is that something that sort of goes back to your karting days? Did you did you spend a lot of time pounding around wet kart tracks? Yeah, I mean, I was really bad in the rain. And, and one day, my dad got a little bit angry at me and said, okay, now, as soon as it rains, you're going to drive. And I drove many hours in, in the rain uh, with my dad on the side of, of the track, telling me, you know, where to go, <laughs> soaking wet. And um, this is probably the moment where I started to, to be better in the wet. I was probably 10 or 11 years old. And it's true that in F1, the only time that I felt I had a very good chance to to fight for for strong points when it was uh, was when it was raining. I remember it was the third year or the second year in Melbourne. We had uh, the qualifying on the Saturday and it rained too much, so they had to do Q3 on the Sunday morning. But on Q1 and Q2, I was always in the top three, top four of qualifying. And once again, I had you know this bad luck of putting the qualifying the day after. Also, once in Monaco, I don't uh, maybe it was the first year or second year. I don't remember. It was. I started wet qualifying and I was once again, you know, in, in top top four, top five. 
And then Q3, uh, everybody put the slick tires and with the tour also, I mean, we were not, not quick enough. Well, you were eighth. That was 2013 Monaco, yeah. Yeah, that eighth. was on the, on the slick. But if you look at the result of Q1, I think I was uh, top four. Yeah. I mean, no one cares really uh, who, who I was in Q1 and Q2, you know, only the result matters. And uh, the only, yeah, the only thing that I remember is that in the white, we were always quite, uh, quite performant. Another race I wanted to ask you about, Canada 2013. You qualify seventh and you finish sixth to equal your best result in Formula One. Just how good were you that weekend? It was a good race. I remember starting next to, to Fernando. I had a, a good fight with him in the first lap. What was it like to fight wheel to wheel with Fernando Alonso? It was just a driver that needed to be in front on the next braking, you know. It doesn't matter who he was. <laughs> but uh, no, it was a good weekend. I mean, uh, obviously, I, I wish I had done better than six in in, in F1 as a best result. I think it's a little bit uh, slim uh, as a best result. I think the most fun race that I had was probably Singapore in the last year, where I went from, I think it was 11th to 6th in, in five laps. He really is on wow. a charge, isn't he, Jean-Eric Verne? He is uh, finding performance in his tyres at the end of this race. There's Jean-Eric Verne getting past Valtteri Bottas. He's got Hulkenberg, he's got Raikkonen, and he's got Bottas in the space of about 15 seconds here. You were just driving round them as if they were standing still. I remember it vividly. Yeah, that was that was actually a, a very good race. Um, I think the last part of the, the, um, the season... And in 2014, when I knew that I was not going to be in, in F1 anymore, I had this pressure removed off my shoulder and I just performed a lot better. It's funny why that happens. I think we're seeing a little bit of that with Bottas now, that he knows he's leaving Mercedes and he's driving, since the summer break, he's been driving beautifully. That's uh, that's a proof of, of your mentality not being in the right place. I'm not talking for, for Valtteri because I don't know him well enough. And uh, I'm not in the same, I mean, I was not in the same position as the one he is in. Uh, I can only speak for myself, but yeah, I, I wish I, I had worked more on my mentality, uh, on my mental strengths uh, when I was younger. Did you use a, a psychologist or anyone to help? Because I know all of, or not all, but a lot of the guys on the grid now do use psychologists to help them. I should have had. I, I did not. And uh that's something I regret and that's something if any young drivers uh, will ask me, you know, some, I mean, recommendation or, or, or advice, I would definitely advise them to, to use uh, somebody like this uh, to really help them uh, mentally. Let's talk about you as a driver now. Just be completely objective about it. What were your greatest strengths behind the wheel of a racing car? What are they, of course? You're still racing now. But in Formula One, what were your greatest strengths? When I was in F1, I would say the wet. I would say racing. Racing was my biggest strength. Overtaking, de defending. Yeah, I was more of a racer than a qualifier. Uh, I think that was my problem uh, against Daniel. Um, I think the first two years, he strongly beat me in, in qualifying. Then I was beating him in the races. Uh, but unfortunately, when you beat him, uh, when you beat your teammate finishing 12th and him 13, or it's different than when you beat your teammate uh, finishing third and him fifth, uh, you know, because at the end of the, the day, the points talk a lot more. And uh, when you're in the tour also, you can beat your teammate uh, many races, but uh, if one day he finished eighth, uh, and uh, or six or fourth, because there is, is in the right place in a good moment, that, that makes a whole difference. 
So it, it was. it's a bit more unfair to judge those drivers. It's like Nicolas Latifi. I mean, before Russell uh, scored uh, the, the podium, but Latifi had more points than Russell. And I think that's, that's not representative of uh, the result of those two drivers uh, during the season. I mean, now, after the Russell podium, it's, it's completely different, I would say. But uh, when you are in a team that doesn't fight for points every races, it's hard to, to show you're beating your teammates through the, the, the point scoring. What about the technical side of it? Were you good at setting a car up? Did you enjoy that side of the sport? Yeah, I enjoyed a lot. I love technique. Um, I love everything that is tech. I mean, that has to do with technology. And and I was really uh, into... Uh, I love going to um, to the wind tunnel after also uh, seeing all the new updates, trying to understand. Uh, that's something that I always liked. I'm not pretending to be an engineer and I cannot stand the drivers telling the engineers what to do because that's not our job. But our job is to understand them and to understand what engineers want to, I mean, want from the drivers. And also it's important that, uh, you know, you know very well the car that you're driving, you know, uh, the new updates that you're getting, the new brake materials that you're having, uh, what are the priorities, how you should uh, warm them up. Uh, to know the, the type of tires that you're getting, to to analyze uh, to analyze everything. I think that's uh, yeah, that, that's the part of the sport that is very important, and uh, I quite enjoyed it. You can suggest solution, of course, and uh, the engineers will listen a lot more to a driver that suggests uh, solution when the driver understands what he's talking about and when he takes note and when he is quite serious about the debriefing and and remembering, for example, the year before on the same track. Oh, I had understeer in this corner. Uh, it's weird. Let's look at the solution that we found the year before and then suggest, oh, last year we found this solution. Maybe we should try and look into that. Uh, but some drivers are just telling, I mean, I, I don't know in F1 if they are like this, but I, I know some drivers are just uh, pretending to be engineers and, and that's, that's not something I like. Mm. Well, what was the best car you drove in your F1 career? I think it was the last... Uh, the last year, 2014, when we had the, the Renault powertrain. Yeah, I think it was the best car, definitely. I thought you were going to say something a bit left field then and say, well, it was the RB7 that you drove at the Abu Dhabi test in 2011 when you were quickest on all three days of the young driver test. <laughs> yeah, I know. But uh, unfortunately, I did not race this car in, uh, uh, in, in a race. I wish I had, uh, but I did not. So realistically speaking... Um, with the, the racing, I think it was the, the, the last year, yes, the Toro Rosso. John, just in terms of your preparation for Toro Rosso, that test at the end of 2011, when you were quickest on all three days, I mean, I just remember being really excited about it, Jeff. The car was just perfect to drive, honestly. It was the first time I had in F1, but yet it was probably the time that I drove the best in F1, very weirdly enough. Uh, when you have a car like this, I mean, it's uh, it's impressive, you know. Uh, I remember even the lap time we were doing. We came back the year after uh, with the Toro, so I was probably six seconds off, <laughs> six seconds slower than what I was doing in the Red Bull. It's a different. It was a different world, and uh, I love the grip. I love the the downforce. And in the Red Bull, I was just feeling uh, at home. It was like a, a go car to drive. It's so easy for me. Well, is it easier to drive a car like that? than the Toro Rosso? Is it actually easier to extract the lap time? Or when you get to the limit, 
Is it as difficult? No, because I, believe me, I, I was playing my life in this test and uh, I really wanted to be as fast as possible. And I was giving, I was really pushing the car to the limits. And um, and yeah, so it was, it, it was easier. I mean, the, the car was perfectly set up. There was, of course, a lot of grip on the track, but uh, I, yeah, I always liked grip, you know, grippy cars. Uh, that's why my, my, my favorite car that I was driving and, and the one that I feel I was the strongest was in, in Formula 3 because it was an underpower car compared to the downforce that it was getting. And uh, I just loved it. Formula 3 is, is all about momentum, isn't it? Yeah, it's all about keeping the speed in the corner, having uh, big cojones in the high-speed corners. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's eh, f- honestly the Formula Three car was the most fun car that I've that I've driven in my career. I really love that car. Now let's talk about some of um, some of the drivers you came up against. You rode the Red Bull young driver wave. Who was the best of that group coming up with you, of that young driver Red Bull group? There were so many. Uh, <laughs> there were so many drivers. I mean, uh, there were new ones every year, uh, ones exiting every year. So it's, it's difficult to respond to this um, to this question. Uh, I don't know what to answer to this one. Really? Because I mean, you know, Kvyat and Sainz and Ricardo. Yeah, but the problem is, you're not. Ra- I was not racing with them in the same category. So, and you know, you only True. focus in your in your season and it, what you do, and you don't really look at what the others are, are doing. You know, the only thing that that you know matters the most is is you winning your championship and and therefore since I was the only Red Bull driver uh, racing in my category, therefore it was very hard to judge the other guys. I only raced uh, with with Daniel in um, in Formula Renault two liters. It was my first year in in, uh, in racing car. It destroyed me. I have to be honest. I was not at the 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 his level. Uh, but then our last year before Formula One, we raced again in in three point five. And uh, I was in front of him. That's interesting, that, isn't it? Well, as the cars got more powerful or as the cars got more grip, we're talking about Formula 3 a moment ago, it sort of came to you more? Or was it an ex- was it purely about experience, the way? It was, of course, experience. Uh, but it was also, I remember when I went to Formula 1 or 2 liter to, to Formula 3, it was like I became a completely different driver. I was like, uh, now I'm untouchable. I, no one can beat me. And that, that was my feeling. That was also my feeling in, in the Red Bull car. Uh, in the Red Bull car, I, I could have, okay, I, I didn't have a lot of money back then, but I was, I could have, uh, I could have bet all the money I had if Sebastian Vettel would have been there the same day, uh, and that he drove the, the same car. And if he would have beaten me, I would have given him everything I had. And that's, that's this feeling of invincibility that I, that I sometimes had in, in my career. Maybe I should have it more often. But uh. Hey, Jeff, that's amazing. So you hadn't even driven in a Grand Prix at that point, yet you were already so confident in that car, the RB7. Yeah, I was. And I didn't need to drive in the Grand Prix to know that uh, we, we knew the amount of grip there was on the, uh, on the track. We knew the amount of fuel that I had. We knew the tires that I had. And uh, we knew the lap times that were done in qualifying and in the race, and I knew what I was doing the day after, you know. What does all this say, Jeff? Does it say that timing is everything? If, if you look back at your career, if there's one thing that you think you've learned that's more important than anything else, is it timing, just being in the right place at the right time? It's something very important, but, uh, you know, some people may call it luck. And with time, I get to realize that this is not uh, not entirely true. Uh, and the best example to me is Lewis. 
uh, I remember was in India in, in 2012 uh, that he was still with uh, uh, with McLaren and he was going to Mercedes and uh, Mercedes was a new team was not winning any races was far from winning any races and, uh, and I told him you're crazy I mean wh- why do you go there you're in the best Formula 1 team with McLaren and and he told me, he said, because um, I need to build this team around me and um, I need that if I want to beat Sebastian. Sebastian was, of course, winning everything back, de- back then. And when I look at the career that Lewis now has with, with Mercedes, what he's done is anything but luck. The, the guy trusted the people that were in the team at the beginning. He could read them. He could understand that with Toto Wolf and all the, the technical guys behind and the, 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 the money that was going to be injected in this team, he knew that he had all the chances uh, if he worked well with the team to make this team the most successful team in uh, in this decade and, and also with him the best driver uh, successful of all time and that's what he's done and uh, many people can say yes he has the best, the best car it's been easy for him but uh, he built that luck he, he built this team together with Toto Wolf and, and all the all the people in Mercedes that's not luck that's hard work and that was having a a long-term vision that he had and that many drivers don't have. We'll be back with John Eric in a second. But listen, I've been joined by a couple of mates, Damon Hill and Natalie Pinkham. Hello, guys. Hello. Hi, Tom. You're clearly fans of Beyond the Grid, but have you listened to the podcast that us three do together? It's called F1 Nation. Yes, F1 Nation is out every Tuesday and it's Damon, Tom and me chatting about all the latest goings on in Formula One. Behind the scenes stories from the paddock and the on-track action as well. Yes, and as we get to the end of this season, it's all about the title showdown. And I've been in a few of those myself. You have indeed. And not only do you get to hear Damon's World Championship winning wisdom, but you can also put your Formula One questions to him in our Ask Damon segment. Go on, put me to the test and ask me anything. We also have expert F1 guests from all over the world who give us their take on the big F1 talking points too. Sometimes we go off topic and talk about Turkish baths, sleepwalking and UFOs. It's always a lot of fun and we would love for you to join us on F1 Nation. New episodes come out every Tuesday wherever you get your podcast. So have a listen to F1 Nation right after you finish this episode of Beyond the Grid, of course. (laughs) Of course. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Damon. Thanks, Pinks. Right, where were we? What happened for you after 2014? Did Red Bull offer you a parachute? Did they offer you a, a ride in the DTM or another series? No, because I was pretty pissed off back then that uh, some people in Red Bull told me that uh, I would be the one replacing Vettel if he would go away. And, and considering the end of the season that I had compared to Kvyat, I was not in the mood to stay with uh, to stay with them. Did you talk to other Formula One teams? Yeah, I mean, I, I did talk to, to some teams, but... Uh, they all wanted uh, money, not saying any names, but uh, yeah, the only team that, that offered me a, a job was Ferrari as a reserve driver and simulator driver. But this very quickly, I, I mean, it was amazing experience to be with Ferrari, but uh, it, it was very tough to come to all the races and see, you know, your friends race and, and uh, you being sitting in a hospitality, drinking coffee and, and nothing else, you know. So I had to I had to leave from this environment because it was just really becoming too, too hard. And uh, yeah, and then I focused in, in one goal, which was Formula E. And um, I was like, oh, you know, I need to, I need to get back into winning and to the mentality that I had before F1. And uh, it took a, 
yeah, one year and a half to 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 be into that mentality, and 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 now I'm very happy why I'm in in Formula E. I'm very happy also with the Le Mans program that I have with uh, with Peugeot, and uh, yeah, I wish things would have been different in Formula One, but it was important to accept that I didn't have the career I wanted to have, and important to understand why and to to change the why and to change it into into positive and and in uh, just becoming a, a better driver, stronger driver. You worked for Ferrari for two years, I think, test and development driver. How often did you did you get out in one of their Formula One cars? Once, just, just once. Okay, which car? Which car did you drive? It's age fourteen. You was, I think. So immediately after leaving Toro Rosso, you jump into Formula E with Andretti. How hard was that? A, I mean, what was the car like to drive? But one week you are, you know, racing a Formula One car in Abu Dhabi and then literally the next week or very soon afterwards, you're in Formula E. How tough was that step? I remember very well this time I came back and Julian, that I just had signed as, as my manager, I was kind of worried because I was like, okay, I don't have any drive for next year. We need to find something. And uh, he told me, I said, look, there may be an opportunity. Let me call you back. He called me back and said, okay, um, so I found you a seat, but for only one race in Formula E. I was like, mm, okay, yeah, why not? Um, let's give it a try. And um, he said, well, it's not paid. They pay for your flights. I was like, okay, uh, <laughs> any more bad news? He told me, I said, look, go do this uh, this race, do your job, do what you know best, and uh, let me handle the race for, for the future. And uh, for the first time, I had like a, this relationship with, with someone in motorsport that uh, kind of told me, you know, how to do things and how to be. And uh, not that I didn't know, but it, it was nice to have this kind of relationship and talk with uh, with Julian. And I told him, okay, great, let's do this. And say, when is the race? He said, well, <laughs> you leave tomorrow morning. <laughs> so where? To Punta del Este? Where is Punta del Este in South America? Okay, I didn't know where it was. And uh, so I had no simulator. The other drivers had, had done two races before that. And I had no idea what to expect. To be fair, it's it's pretty hard car to drive. No no grip, quite a lot of torque. Very difficult circuit with uh, sand on it because it was on the beach, actually. But the good thing is everybody had the same car. That was the best thing that ever happened to me, to go back into a category where everybody had the same car. And when I did my qualifying lap, I was like, um, I mean... Before that, in, in free practice, I did a lot of mistakes trying to find the limit of the car. And I remember Michael Andretti coming to me before calling and saying, uh, Jeff, if you're doing uh, in, in the first 10 in qualifying, I'm going to give you the drive for the rest of the year. I was like, okay. I, of course, wanted to do better than 10. And in quali, I did the pole by three tenths. And when I did this lap, I knew that because everybody had the same car, I knew that I was not going to get beaten. And this feeling... Is something that really unlocked myself again and I felt so much more confident. And um, I remember Helmut Marco was at this race and he came to me and said, oh, I'm surprised. I thought you were slow in qualifying. And I told him, well, uh, you know very well that Kvyat Olos had 10 kilos less than me and that I could not even say it in the press. So, yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I told him that in front of a few people. He was not very happy, but it was the truth. Uh, Kvyat in F1 had always 10, he was always 10 kilos lighter than me and uh, and you know that in F1 it's uh, three tenths. I could not say it to the press. Why was your car so much heavier than Kvyat's? Because the cars with the turbo uh, area 
the the tour also was quite heavy, and Kvyat was the, was I think uh, eight or ten kilos lighter than me. Or oh, physically lighter than physically. you. Physically, yeah. and the car, my the car car was overweight. And uh, <laughs> believe me, when I came into Formula E in qualifying with the same weight, with everybody same guy, I, f- I felt like we're moving a, a a bag full of stone, and that I could finally run again. And it was yeah. like a liberation. Like a feeling you hadn't felt since what, 20, 2011, 2010, maybe, but before Formula One? I, I think, yeah, yeah, before Formula One. In, and in 2012 and 13, I think I had some, uh, I was not very strong in qualifying and I really improved that over the winter in 2014. And I was much stronger in qualifying in 2014, but I had this 10 kilos extra overweight, all the qualifyings that I had. And I was quite hard to fight against Kvyat. I mean, I had double more points than him. I was, but, uh, yeah. Nevertheless, um, that that's that's how it was for me. Um, yeah. And Jeff, what was Michael Andretti like to work with? Because of course he's now being linked Amazing. to Sauber. Yeah. Is is he a good a good boss? Could he make Formula One work for him? Do you think? I really hope for him. I mean, uh, um, you know, he has a very successful team in IndyCar. Um, I know the. I know very well JF, Thorman, and I love the people at Andretti uh, in Formula E. I mean, we had a, a lot of fun, uh, good races, uh, good success. Yeah, I mean, Michael and this team is really a team that I have in my heart. They are really loving motorsport. It's in their DNA, and uh, that's people I love, yeah. And, of course, you've got Le Mans coming up with Peugeot. Um how much are you looking forward to sharing a racing car with another driver? I always think that's a big mentality shift. Uh, that's Le Mans is always something that I loved. I started the Formula Campus in Le Mans. And when I came to this track, I was struck. I was like, wow, that's really an amazing place. And then I, I, I did my first Le Mans quite late, but it, it was magical. I mean, uh, when I attended to my first Le Mans, not as a driver, but as a, a spectator. And that's a race that I knew that I, was, I always wanted to do. And uh, when I left F1, I did the Toyota test and I was not picked up uh, because of, uh, I mean, I can't remember what what they told me that they didn't like about me. Uh, It was not the speed, but uh, I realized there was this image problem that I needed to change and to to change that and and to be able to get a good drive in, in Le Mans in a top factory team. I needed to go to endurance racing and to prove that I was able to share a car, to prove that I had a good mentality, to prove that I'm not this uh, uh, crazy driver that is going to crash the car every time I'm, I, I'm, I'm behind the wheel. So I told also Julian, I said, look, please find me a drive uh, in LMP2. And he found me this drive with Manor, which unfortunately was, was not a very strong team. Uh, with not very uh, strong strong teammates, uh, it was quite difficult, and uh, even I uh, had to 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 pay off my my own money uh, to go to the races. And when you come from Formula One, being a Formula One driver, you got demoted, and then you go to LMP2, and you need to pay for your travels and everything to race. It was kind of a humbling experience. Really, there was no better situation to go back your you know to put back your feet on earth. And to start walking again, and to yeah, to to shake yourself and uh, to shake yourself up, and uh, and come back to reality, and uh, come back to walking and uh, being walking towards being successful again. And the first year in Manor was was good. I mean, I had good performance in the car, especially in Le Mans, that drew the attention to to Roman Rusinov on G Drive. They offered me a drive uh, in the year after, and uh, we won Le Mans, got disqualified after, but. 
I then was in uh, this good mentality, Le Mans, and, and people could see that I was working very well with the teammates and in the team also. They more than, more than once I was happy to give a set of new tire to my teammates so he could get more ready for quality and and uh, I was happy to change the setup that was fitting me better than than my slower uh, silver driver. But you know they they could see that I was really accommodating very well and uh, and that things that played a very important role for Peugeot to uh, to take me in the hypercar program. Do you know yet who your teammates will be? Uh, yes, I know the six drivers, but my teammates on my car, I don't know them, no. Who do you want to have? Um, do they ask? Do they say, right, we'd like all of you, please, to write down who you'd like to share a car with? Is there anything like that going on or do, are they just going to tell you? You know, if I, was, uh, if I was Peugeot and I would ask this to the driver, I would take the opposite of what the driver wants. <laughs> 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 so no i don't know i mean i yeah well it's very exciting for you jeb no, it is it is exci- exciting time I'm, I'm very pleased with this drive with peugeot it was good it didn't come there easily so i had to i mean we always have to work for something in life but i really wanted this drive and uh, I'm, I'm quite pleased that it turned out to be this way and uh now I'm, I, you know i'm very happy to start the work with peugeot and uh get behind the wheel very very soon do you feel that you're enjoying your racing now more than you were five years ago? Absolutely, yeah, 100%. Your mentality going into the race is is just, I'm going to enjoy this come what may. Is, is that the reason? Yeah, it's the reason. It's also the main reason is also knowing that you can go to a race knowing that you can win or fight for the win. And that's something that uh, it's, it's different. I mean, I... I like winning. Uh, I like to be in the position to to win, and I like to work hard for 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 this. And uh, to be in a category that I know I have my chance to win is uh, is something nice that uh, you know really gives me a lot of uh, enjoyment. I wanted to ask you about some of your off track activities because I think we can call you a businessman now. Because just looking, I've got this list in front of me. Endorphin distilled spirits. Should we start with that? I mean, what what's that? How did it come about? Well, it came about because you know Formula E. They love the I wouldn't call it the party scene, but uh, it's quite a um, lot of events around Formula E racing. And uh, I found myself in in a few of those events, uh, not knowing what to drink. You know, everybody drinking alcohol next to me, and I didn't find any way around it, and I didn't find any other drinks that didn't have alcohol but they were enjoyable from the social uh, aspect. And that's why I wanted to, to create a drink that uh, gives you more or less the same effect as the alcohol, but without the, the hangover and uh, without uh, yeah, the, the, the bad things in it. So, yeah, we created that. Uh, it's working very well. Uh, we only sell in the UK now. I do this with the son of my manager, actually, with Alex Jacoby. And uh, it's a very fun project. Um, what does it taste of? I invite you to uh, send you a bottle if you want. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, Jeff, what does it taste of? It's very herbal, very herbal. And uh, there is a bitter sweetness at the end uh, to remind you, like a little bit the, the aftertaste that you have with alcohol. Well, that's very exciting. And what, you've got global expansion somewhere in your mind for that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think uh, it's it's more Alex taking care of this uh on the day-to-day uh, basic, I think I, uh, you know, I have a, I have one two months to to do all of those things on the um, um, I would say extra sporting side. Uh, but believe me, from from January, I'm 
you will not talk to me about uh, any other businesses I do. The only business will be winning, you know, next year and uh, and working to to reach that goals next season. And um, yeah, I think last year I'm, I'm quite. I mean, last two years I didn't win the championship, and and probably that was one of the reasons. So yeah, I'm going to refocus a lot more and uh, go back into uh, into winning. Well, I wish you the best of luck, but I've got other things. Um, Veloci and then DS to Cheetah as well. I mean, you've got all sorts going on, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, and restaurants as well. Oh, tell us about the restaurants. Tell us about the restaurants. It's a French restaurant called Caviar Caspia, another one called Beef Bar, a restaurant from Monaco. Uh, we're trying to do it very well, but um, it's my friends mainly that, that take off, uh, the, you know, that, that like, look after it. So I don't have any credit to take for this. Uh, and then DS, uh, the DS Cheetah. That's a long story, but I'm trying to make it short. The second year I did in Formula A, I did with DS Virgin, and um, you know it's it's common knowledge that my relationship with Virgin has been very, very, very uh, bad, almost to the point that I wanted to leave halfway uh, through the season. But DS convinced me to stay until the end. But it was very clear that I was never going to stay with this team. And uh, I was at the point of my career that I was like, um, I need to create this own chance, you know, like I was telling you about Lewis. And I went to one of my old sponsors and I told him we need to to buy a Formula E team. And by then, the, the franchise were not costing uh, as much as today. And uh, we negotiated um, to buy Aguri, which was a, a Formula E team. So we became uh, became partner in, in the team for the first two years. Then after we sold the shares back to to the Chinese, uh, but it was very interesting because for once in my in my life I I was able to go on the other side and to see what the team really needed from the driver, and I think this is the moment in my career that I grew the most, that I understood the, the most of things, and um, and this is with this team that I've been uh, you know the most successful. So it's been a, a very important and interesting journey to to go behind the scene and to, to work with the team in, in putting the engineers together in solving problems. And uh, it, it was um, enlightening, I would say. Yeah. And you've gone full circle now. You've seen the sport from every angle, haven't you? Uh, I don't know if I've seen the sport from every angle, but uh, I'm, I'm still young. I still have a lot of things to, to learn. I still have a lot of things to, to achieve in this sport. And uh I'm eager to learn every day, you know, but um, yeah, still have a lot of things to do in this sport. Well, and out of the sport, Jeff, because I, I saw very recently that um, Save the Cheetahs is uh, something close to your heart, isn't it? Yeah, I love I love uh, animals. Uh, <laughs> is there some link with the team? Is that why it's yeah, Cheetah? Yeah, completely, cheetah? because yeah. when we got called Cheetah, um, I have uh, this person that, that approached us and uh, say... Uh, are you interested in, in cheetah um, uh, conservation, uh, explaining me, you know, the problems there is with cheetah? And I was like, yeah, I mean, that I love cheetahs. And then it, it looked cool also because of, of the name of our team, you know. Uh, so, <laughs> um, yeah, we did a lot of things with the, the Cheetah Foundation. Keep doing uh, a lot of things as well. Um, and um, I think it's nice to do things not only for yourself, but for either other people or other, you know, animals and, and for the good causes. You know, it's important, I think. Before you go, I feel I must ask you about this world championship fight that we've got going on at the minute between Max Verstappen and Lewis, Lewis Hamilton. I mean, it's one of the best F1 seasons we've had for a while, isn't it? Yeah, it is the best. I mean, I, I really, really enjoy it. 
Yeah, it's interesting to see uh, to see Lewis performing uh, very strongly against uh, against Max, which is at the top of his form uh, with a um, very good Red Bull car as well. It, it's very interesting. It's very spicy. A lot of things happen between those two as well. It's nice to it's nice to see. But then to so, tell you who's going to be on top at the end. <laughs> Go on then. You, you took the question out of my mouth. Who's going to win it? Huh. I can't tell you honestly. I I really cannot tell you. Um, I think Lewis has, you know, doesn't have anything more to prove in Formula One. I mean, is uh, I don't know if if uh, the driver that will improve his record is even born. You know, I, I would love to see Max and Lewis in the same car. It would be very interesting. Oh, that would be Senna and Prost all over again. Hey, and if it if it happened, you'd have to have Julian Jacobi looking after them both, like he did Senna and Prost. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. <laughs> Made the best one win, and uh, I, I just hope that there's not going to be any uh, actually, you know, Senna Prost thing like in, in Suzuka. Uh, I hope that uh, none of this thing would happen in in the end of the season uh, regarding who's going to have the, the most points. But uh, I hope to see a, a good fight. I like to see Lewis also fight. I think it's been very nice to to Max uh, more than once at the beginning of the year, uh, with Max being very aggressive and uh, you know Lewis responded to to him. I think the crash in Silverstone was just him responding. You know he was also on the inside and uh, it was a racing incident. But uh, for once Lewis did not uh, did not back up uh, like he did uh, a few times. I remember in Mugello, for example. You know it's just the, the tension between those two is just increasing and uh, it's nice to see. It is indeed, Jeff. Well, it's been wonderful to chat to you. It really has. And just to sort of relive uh, not only the Formula One stuff, but what you've been getting up to since as well. It's been a joy. Jeff, thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much, Tom. And uh, I'll see you very soon. As you've just discovered, Jeff is great company. So I will find an excuse to see him again very soon. But what an open, honest and at times devastating chat about his Formula One career. I hope he found the process of talking through it cathartic. And he seems to now understand some of the reasons why he didn't have the Formula One career that his speed deserved. Hopefully that will bring some closure with it. I'll always remember Jev as a driver with tremendous feel who had almost a sixth sense about where the grip lay in the wet. The Hungarian Grand Prix in 2014 that he mentioned when he ran second for a while sums up his ability perfectly. Jev, thanks for your time. It was great to chat and we will catch up again very soon. As ever, please remember to send in any thoughts or stories that you have on Jean-Eric. Were you in Hungary 2014 when he ran second? Or what about Malaysia 2012 when he scored his first World Championship points? Or even the Goodwood Revival meeting this year when he danced with some historic cars? Let me know and remember, I'll read out the best ones next week. Which brings me on to what you sent in about Daniel Ricciardo after last week's episode. There's a lot of love out there for Daniel. Take this from Eyes Up Auto Art. I got into Formula One in 2017 and my wife followed when Drive to Survive came out. We've been big Danny Rick fans from the start and Monza was the first race after we found out she's pregnant and we're going to name our first child after him. It was an unforgettable week. Wow, what a message. And are you going to call your son just Daniel? Or are you going to go the whole hog and call him Daniel Joseph? Go on, go for it. 
Thanks for that message. And on a similar theme, Matteo Guasco sent this in. You got me there with Daniel, he says. He won on the same week that my second son was born. Just magical. He's an amazing guy in an amazing team. Thanks. Well, our pleasure, Matteo. That was certainly a memorable week for you, wasn't it? And what about this from Chris Laker? I could listen to Daniel all day, every day, he says. His passion is infectious. I want to go out and get myself a 110 pit bike now. What a fantastic interview. It sounds like you both really enjoyed it. Well, thanks, Chris. And I can tell you that I very much enjoyed it. And I hope Daniel did too. And as you say, Daniel's passion and enthusiasm are infectious. And here's a great story from Emily. Just listened to this pod and loved it, she says. Great, insightful mix of topics. Would love to say I've seen Dan on the streets of Perth, but the closest I've come is parking outside what was his house as a teenager when my friend, who lived a few doors down, had a house party. Well, come on, Emily, that means you and Daniel are bezies. What a great story. Thank you. And let's end with this from Kenna Edwards, who's also sent in some pictures with her story. I love Danny, she says. My dad took me to the 2014 US Grand Prix for my birthday and I got to meet and chat with Danny, who was sporting rather questionable facial hair. He even sang happy birthday to me. Later, he sprayed me and others with champagne on the podium. What great memories, Kenna. Lucky you. And I loved your photos. Thanks for sending them in. Now, as ever, we got loads more messages, but I'll stop there in the interests of time. Thank you to everyone who wrote in. We love getting your messages and we do read them all. Well, that's it for another week. I hope you've enjoyed hearing from Monsieur Verne. And don't forget to send in your thoughts and stories on him. Otherwise, I'll see you all next week with another great guest from the world of Formula One. Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 in association with Audioboom Studios. Until next time, keep it flat out.